See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, till it receives the early and the late rain. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is at stand is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patient. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that uh, reading, Bhante. Good evening, church. Thanks to the music team for leading us uh, as well. Um, my name is Black. For those who are joining us for the first time, um, and I have the privilege of leading us in God's word. Uh, sorry for my sniffles. Uh, I think the last song was I was in the throne room. Uh, so. Um, if I don't kill too much time, I'm going to ask Bushla to come sing at the end, um, sing that very song. Um, now you can't say no, I've already put it out there. Uh, but it's, it's great to be with you guys again. Um, this is week four of our series in the book of James titled Dead Faith. Um, so please keep your uh, Bibles open uh, to James 5 that Bantu read for us. How many of us have been encouraged, have been challenged, have been blessed um, by the book of James uh, for the past couple of weeks? Man. Um, so, so James is, is really challenging all of us, myself included. Um, and yeah, as I pray that we would really let's go live um, as real Christians, as James has called all of us to. I'm going to pray and then we'll get into God's word. This evening. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us. Uh, Lord, we are grateful that there's no other God like you. You are the King of kings indeed, the Lord of lords. Um, on heaven and in earth, uh, there's no one who's your equal. And so we, we're grateful uh, that we can be called your children. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, that you, you discipline us and you don't leave us uh, the way you found us. You want us to look like Jesus, um, and Father, it is a, a glorious thing to behold as you transform us as Christians, and we see that in each other. Um, it's such a blessing, Lord. I pray that you may be with us now as we uh, hear you speak to us. Thank you for being with us by the power of your Holy Spirit throughout the service. We ask that you be with us in a special way as you um, speak to us uh, this evening. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Man, if you're taking notes, today's title is, It's Time to Trade in Your Dead Faith. It's time to trade in your dead faith. James called us in week one to stand up if we are real Christians. In week two, he called us to trust in God's word. Last week, he called us to love hard, especially when it is hard. And so he's saying to us today, 
if all those things are true, it's time to stop negotiating with your dead faith. Um, if you're a Christian and your faith is dead, it's time for you to trade it in. Uh, go before the altar of God and trade it in for radical, bold, brave faith. Um, if you're not a Christian, uh, that you would find true faith in the Lord today. Amen. I'm going to read a couple of statements that will be on the screen. Um, Proud will put those up for us in a short while. They're going to matter in our sermon. Um, These are just quotes I got off the internet, but they reflect our culture. This one says, um, I'm not your first kiss or love, but I want to be your last everything. But it's Tupac, and he says, uh, death is not the greatest loss. Uh, what is the greatest loss is that you, you die inside while you're still alive. This says, uh, live every day as if it, it were your last, because one of these days it will be. Uh, I, li- I like this one. It's my favorite. It says, life is short. Uh, break the rules. Do more. Need less. Smile often. Be brave. Stay true. Dream big, forgive quickly, kiss slowly, love truly, uh, laugh uncontrollably, and never regret anything that made you smile. Thanks, Proud. Uh, You might think some of these quotes are are motivational, and maybe some of us have used them. Uh, This is Steve Jobs. Uh, If you could put that back again. Sorry, Proud. But Steve Jobs was basically saying, whatever it is that you're going to do that day, if it was your last day to live, uh, would you still want to do that thing, right? And they're powerful, and some of us, again, have used them to motivate ourselves to do schoolwork, to get into work, to start a new business or whatever, right? Um, And I think they're motivational at a surface level, but the thing that's common with all of these quotes, and they reflect many other quotes that our culture has, um, is this premise that tomorrow is never going to come. So if that is true, then suck up everything you can now, because tomorrow is not coming anyway, so take all that you can take today. Right? The other one that I said I like says, you know, laugh is hard, break all the rules, do whatever you want to do, just take all of it in because tomorrow is clearly not guaranteed. And if you're a Christian, you know that's a lie. Our tomorrow is guaranteed. In fact, our tomorrow is forever. Our tomorrow is guaranteed, and that's not the kind of life that God has called us to. In fact, James has shown us in the past three weeks uh, that if we live the way these quotes tell us to live, that's dead faith. You're all very self-involved, you're self-absorbed, and everything is about you and what you can get from the world and people. And James would say that is is dead faith. That's faith that, that has no joy, faith that relies on the world's wisdom. That is faith that listens to the culture, faith that's unloving. Again, James wants to awaken our faith. James wants us to have a live faith, faith that is full of joy, even in the midst of trials, a faith that relies on God's wisdom, that listens to God's word, a faith that loves hard, even when it's hard. That's the kind of faith that James is calling us to. And so this evening he will say, and I say to us, trade in your dead faith. Trade it in for bold, radical, brave faith. If it sounds like a Michael Todd sermon, I promise it's not me. Uh, it's in the text. Um, so we're going to trade in our dead faith for bold, radical, brave faith. Here are three ways in which we're going to do that. Uh, the first way, we're going to wait. 
Sounds strange, but James will tell us why we need to wait as we trade in our dead faith for bold, radical, brave faith. The first thing is that we wait. The second thing, we heed to God's warning. And the third thing, we win. So those are three ways in which we trade in our dead faith for bold, radical, brave faith. We wait, there's a warning, and we win. So let's jump straight into our first way. Uh, Wait. Verses 7 till 8, read with me. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What James is speaking about in those two verses is not necessarily the act of waiting, but he's actually speaking about the posture of waiting, how we should wait. So in verses 7 till 8, he's speaking about the how to wait. How do we know that to be true? Verses 7b, listen to what he says. See how the farmer waits. And so he gives the farmer as an example of how to wait. In fact, in verses 8, he tells these Christians a practical way of waiting is to establish their hearts, to anchor their hearts, to stabilize their hearts. And we'll find out uh, as we go in the sermon what that actually means. But the point there is that James is not just describing the act of waiting, but the posture of waiting, how to wait. How else do we know that to be true? Uh, Look at what he, there's a a repeated phrase in verses 7 and verses 8. This phrase, the coming of the Lord. Um, And so he repeats that phrase, because that phrase meant something for these first century Christians. They had a strong tradition of believing that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. And that's the key thing you need to understand in that phrase. Jesus was coming back in their lifetime to judge the wicked or to judge the rich in this this context. Uh, How do do we see that? Verses 1 till 6, Bantu did not read that for us. I would encourage you to read that at home. But what James is doing in verses 1 till 6, he's speaking to rich people, not rich Christians in the church, but rich people who are oppressing poor Christians who are in the church. And he's telling them about Jesus' judgment that's going to come against them because of the oppression that they're exerting over these poor Christians. And so when they speak of the coming of the Lord, they had a very strong sense that Jesus is coming back in their lifetime to judge these rich or wicked people um, that, that, that were oppressing them. And so that's the thing we need to take from that phrase, the strong sense of believing that Jesus is going to return in their lifetime. And church, this is not a bad idea. In fact, when the Bible speaks about the last days, the Bible still has the same sense of urgency in mind uh, that Jesus is going to return very quickly. We don't know when the date is, which doesn't matter in one sense, But there's a sense of urgency when the Bible speaks about the lost days or when you see that phrase, the coming of the Lord. And so what James is saying to us this evening and what he's saying to these Christians is that they were supposed to live as though they are the lost Christian generation on the earth. That's what he's saying to us this evening. If we are going to wait, the posture of our waiting should indicate that we are living as though we are the lost Christian generation On earth. Amen. And so what James is saying with this phrase, the coming of the Lord, or when you think about the phrase, the last days, uh, they both speak about the kind of days we are living. 
I didn't say the kind of days we are living in, but the kind of days we are living as opposed to the, uh, the counting of days until Jesus returns. In other words, uh, this phrase speaks about the quality of days that we are living as opposed to the quantity of days before Jesus returns. And so again, in one sense, it doesn't matter when Jesus is coming back. What matters is that he is coming back. Amen. That's what matters. And so James is saying, if that is true, Jesus is coming back, well, how you wait matters. The posture of your waiting matters. The quality of your waiting matters. The how of your waiting matters. Because again, that will determine if we lived as the last Christian generation on this earth. So how do we wait? Well, we don't wait like those quotes. We don't suck up everything for ourselves. That's not how we wait. We don't take all of that stuff in because we think that tomorrow is not going to come. That's a lie for those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. But instead, how do we wait? Verses 7a, be patient, brothers. Wait like the farmer. Farmer does not wait passively. But a farmer is active in his waiting. A farmer gives himself to the toiling of the soil. The farmer gives himself to planting seeds. The farmer gives himself to watering the plants. The farmer gives himself to protecting the crops if there are any animals that are trying to eat the crops. The farmer gives himself in trying to take all these objects uh, and foreign plants that try and strangle the crops. He gives off himself. Passive waiting is poor quality waiting. Active waiting is high-quality waiting in giving off ourselves. What do we give ourselves to, as James has shown us over the weeks? We give ourselves to joy, even in the midst of struggles. We give ourselves over to God's wisdom. We give ourselves over to God's word. We give ourselves over to serving each other. When Baby and Tracy were standing here, they were a practical example of what it means to, act, to wait actively. Give yourself over to service and serving others. Give yourself over to loving hard, especially when it is hard. If this is going to be true of us, church, then it will indicate whether we are living as though we are the last Christian generation on earth or not. This is going to require radical, bold, brave faith. It's not going to happen with dead faith. Verses 8, James says to these Christians, if, if you are tempted to throw in the towel, if you are tempted to give up and just then start sucking up everything for yourselves, here's another practical tip on how you should wait. Establish your hearts. Root your hearts. Stabilize your hearts. Anchor your hearts. In what? In the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts. Anchor, root your hearts in the promise, in the hope that Jesus is coming back. That is high-quality waiting. In fact, listen to what uh, Grant Richardson says. Uh, Proud will put the quotes on the screen. But he says, if we are going to achieve this, we need to develop a, a constancy, meaning a, a patience, that comes from a confirmation or establishing, an anchoring, a stabilizing force of God's word. We need to make decisions with the finality or certainty, in other words, of, the, of, of belief about where our true hope lies. End of quote. 
And so what he's saying is that as we wait, let us not be navel gazers. Let's not wait like this. Oh, poor me. I am struggling. Stuff is, is hard. And I'm just so self-involved and I'm focused on myself. But instead, let's wait like visionaries. Look to where our hope is coming from. Place it on Jesus, knowing that he is coming and he will rescue us from all of this. Instead of looking to the struggle itself. Instead of looking to the suffering itself, but let us look to Jesus. That is where our hope is. That's going to require bold, radical faith. We need to do that as Christians who aren't ashamed, as Christians who have conviction, as Christians who are convinced that Jesus is coming back. And practically, church, this means we, we, we grow in our hatred for sin. We push back against all the darkness that surrounds us in our culture. We help those who are helpless. We speak truth even if it costs us. We love hard, so hard that our our enemies would be softened in their hearts to turn to Jesus. So as we wait, church, let's not wait passively, but let us wait like the farmer and give of ourselves because Jesus is coming. I pray that he comes now. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I pray he comes now. So let us wait actively. Second point for the evening warning, verses 9. Let's read what James says to these Christians and us. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So what is the warning there in verses 9? Well, it's in that phrase, do not grumble against one another. So two uh, meanings, sorry, that we can deduce from this verse, uh, considering the, the context of the book as well. The first meaning is don't grumble, period. Don't grumble about your afflictions, your pain, your difficulty, your struggles, um, because James has already told us in chapter 1, verses 2 till 4, we are people of joy, So yes, when things happen to us, we will grumble, we will complain, but that's not our address. We don't live there, we don't stay there, we are passing by because we are people of joy. So much so that our joy would speak volumes to those around us of the conviction we have in the same word of God. As we grow in the struggles, as as the world is falling apart around us, if our joy increases, it speaks volumes to those uh, around us about what it is that we believe. So so don't grumble, period. But but the second meaning there, we find the key in the word against. James says, do not grumble against one another. And so what he's meaning there is that if we are going to live as though we are the last Christian generation on the earth, well, let's not waste our time judging each other for every little single thing. Stop wasting time judging each other about every single little thing. But remember that in your waiting, give yourselves to each other as you love each other, as you serve each other, as you encourage each other. Because that kind of giving of yourself to this community and everyone else is doing that, it increases the quality of this community. If we're not just standing around, pointing fingers at each other and judging each other for every little single thing. And before we think that James is saying we shouldn't call out the sin in each other's lives, we would be missing part of the point. We cannot have a high-quality community if we don't call each other's sins out. 
But the warning in verses 9, church, is that before you call somebody else's sin, examine your own heart. That is the warning. Before I say, yo, Simba, I saw you last week. James is saying, black, examine your own heart first before you call out Simba. That is the warning that we should examine ourselves as individuals, as individuals spend more time doing that in our own hearts and spend less time calling each other out. Because if we would all do that individually, guess what that, that does? If I examine my heart, Nangi examines her heart, Molina examines her heart, Martin examines his heart, Prad examines his heart, it decreases the time we have to call each other's sin but it increases the time for us to encourage and love each other and serve each other. And that uplifts the quality of the community. In fact, this echoes that very famous Zulu hymn, You know where that song is popularly sung at? At funerals. We sing it quite a lot at funerals. Right? Why? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. You're staring death in the face. The only thing after this is Jesus himself. So, And that's what James is saying to us. Let's examine our own hearts. Why does he also press that deeper in verses 9b? Listen to what he says there. The judge is standing at the door. Who is the judge? Again, remember what we said in our first point. They had a strong tradition of believing that Jesus is coming back in their lifetime to judge. So the judge that James has in mind here is Jesus himself. And so James is saying, church, imagine this. If Jesus was standing at the door now as the judge, waiting for the service to end, and we're all going to be in one line, going through that same door, and the judge is going to scan our hearts to see what is in there. If the judge is at the door, who here has time to examine their neighbor's heart? Nobody. You're examining your own heart if the judge is standing at the door. And Jesus is standing at the door. Will he come next year, 3,000 years from now? Or will he come right after I preach? We don't know. But the point is, he's standing at the door. Examine your own heart as he's standing at that door. How many of us here have been class monitors, class captains, or, right? Okay, okay, no, none of us went to school. Okay, cool. <laughs> but here's the thing. It, it would be ridiculous for the class monitor, captain, or prefect to get to the final exam in December and say to the, to the invigilator or the principal, sir, yeah, I, I did not study for this exam. You know, you know why? Because I was spending time examining all the other students. I was writing down the names of all those other kids who were talking. So you have to give me a pass here. You can't judge me. The examiner will say you're ridiculous. You're stupid for thinking like that. What makes us think that Jesus is going to take the same performance from us? Oh, Jesus, I was calling out the sin of people at Christ Church. I didn't have time to examine my own heart. That's cool. I'll deal with them, but I'm dealing with you now. So let us not be class captains who don't study for the final exam. Let us not be class monitors who don't study for the final exam, church. That is the warning there. Examine your own hearts before you examine the hearts of your brothers and sisters. So trade in your dead faith 
for bold, radical, brave faith that examines itself first. Examine your own heart so that as we all do that individually, it increases the quality of our community because we'll spend more time loving each other, serving each other, encouraging each other, spurring each other on, pushing each other to do the walk that we did yesterday as opposed to just sitting here and saying, oh, did you see that one? So that's the warning. As we wait, let's take that warning to heart. Our third way of trading in our dead faith for bold radical faith this evening is is winning. Our last point, verses 10 till 11, read with me there. James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James knows that as these Christians wait, it's not going to be easy. If you've been a Christian for two seconds, you know it's not easy waiting. But you have two options. Option number one is that you can make your waiting endurable. That word endurable denotes the word steadfast that James introduced to us in chapter 1, and he speaks off here in verses 11 when he says that you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. At the beginning of verses 11, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And so he, he's saying that you can make your waiting endurable, can make your waiting produce steadfastness, if you base your waiting on the Lord. Verses 10. He uses the example of the prophets, and he says the prophets suffered and were patient in the Lord. Uh, Most of us have read the the story of Job, and we know that Job struggled quite a lot. But even in his complaining, Job did not abandon the Lord. He stayed with the Lord, Um, and the Lord was compassionate and merciful to Job. And so he's saying your first option, make your waiting endurable by basing it on the Lord. So as much as the waiting is not going to be easy, but your waiting can produce endurance, and you will win at the end. You'll win now as you endure, but you can win at the end as you meet your maker face to face. In chapter 1, verses 4, you are made perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's your first option. Option 2 is the opposite of that. You can make your waiting harder than it should be, If you base your waiting on the possibility of the suffering ending. In other words, you can only hold on to Christianity or you are only holding on to Christianity because you think Christianity will end your problems. Because the inevitable question is, what if it doesn't? Well, the logical conclusion is that you're going to abandon it. And we've seen people say that, go through that, especially on social media. Christianity has not served the purpose that they came in for, and then they suddenly abandon it. So, again, let's backtrack a bit and think about those two options. Option one, I'm holding on to Christianity because of the Lord. So it doesn't matter if my problems don't end. My hope, my trust, my faith is in Jesus I trust Jesus, I wait 
on Jesus, I'll wait in Jesus, he'll grow me, he'll strengthen me, he'll produce insurance. That's your first option. Second option, again, I hold on to Christianity because of the possibility that it will end my problems. And if it doesn't, I will abandon it. So you're only holding on to Christianity because you believe it will end your financial problems. And if it doesn't, you resort to unethical, immoral means of making money and you abandon the faith. You're only holding on to Christianity because you believe it's going to end your season of singleness. And if it doesn't, you'll find anything and anyone to marry because that's what you came in for. You're only holding on to Christianity because you want God to give you kids. And if he doesn't, you're fine with spending the rest of your life resenting him. You're only holding on to Christianity because you believe it's going to end your struggles with porn. And if it doesn't, God should not blame you if you go to teasers or cheat on your spouse. You're only holding on to Christianity because you believe it's going to end your struggles with doubt. You only became a Christian because you wanted to see if this God thing is real. And you're suddenly in, and it's tough, and you're concluding that this God thing is not real. And so you'll abandon it to go find peace and happiness somewhere else. And so what James is saying in verses 10 and 11, if that's where you are, you've received the quality of your reward. The unethical, immoral means of making money, you marrying whatever you find, you resenting God, you cheating on your spouse, or you finding peace and happiness somewhere else, that's the quality of your reward. You got what you came for. Or option one, church, you can be like Job or the prophets, who both suffered, but in their suffering they looked to the Lord, the Lord who's unchanging. Both of them, the prophets and Job, realized that even if they would spend the rest of their lives on earth suffering, that would still be a blessed life. Verses 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Every single moment you spend suffering in the Lord is still greater than gaining the world and losing your soul and spending eternity in hell. Even if you suffer here till you die and meet the Lord face to face, it would still be a blessed life compared to losing your soul and going to hell. James says to these Christians and to us, we've seen the purposes of the Lord in James and the prophets. They grew in their trust of the Lord. Their faith was built up. They increased in dependency on the Lord. So you can trust the Lord. Verses 11 at the end, why? Because he's compassionate, he's merciful, and he will be to you, especially in your suffering might not come the way you want it. But the Lord is merciful and compassionate, especially in our suffering. So James says to these Christians and says to us this evening, let the quality of your reward be the Lord himself. Let the quality of your reward be the Lord himself and not the world. And worse, not hell. So church, it is time for us to trade in our dead faith. Let's trade it in for bold, radical, brave faith. Let us wait well. And as we wait well, let us heed the warning that James gives us. 
so that we can ultimately receive our reward, and that's the crown of life, with Christ himself. Amen. There might be somebody here this evening who wants to trade in their dead faith as a Christian. You've been holding on to that. You've been self-involved. The struggles have gotten the best of you. And this evening you're saying, Lord, I I want to have a live faith. I want to trust you. I want to live as though I am part of the lost Christian generation on this earth. I want to pray with you. But there might be another person here where you don't have faith at all and you're still dead in your sins. And as the Lord has been speaking, he spoke to you this evening and you want to give your life to him so that you can have faith that's alive to do this life with him and the community that he brings you into. I want to pray with you as well. So let's close our eyes and I'll lead us in a time of prayer. I'll start off with the, with the second person. If you're not a Christian, let's pray this with me. You can just repeat it in the quietness of your own heart. Lord, I hear you speak. And I've heard you. Lord, I realize that I am dead in my sins. And I want to be alive in Christ. Father, I do pray this evening that you may take my life and let it be found in you. Help me to believe in what Jesus has done for me by dying for me. And help me to have faith in that Jesus. Father, I do pray for these who have decided to make a a step and give their lives to you, that you would draw them to yourself this evening, Lord. That you would plant them in you as our vine and that they would grow and produce fruits and wait in a good quality way Lord as they wait for you Lord I pray for for Christians who have been living with dead faith they don't serve they don't love others they're just so consumed by their own struggles Father, that you would awaken them. That you would do a work in their hearts that they would be so alive that, Father, it would radiate to all those around them. Pray, Father, that you bring these dead Christians back to life in you, Lord. You, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rose Jesus from the dead. What is this to you, Father? We trust you and we believe that you can do it. In your wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen.